Hi, this is Karen, and in a few moments, you'll meet Christy, and we are the Modern Principal. We are two elementary principals on a quest, nay, a journey, to redefine the roles of leadership in schools. We want everyone to be a leader in education, whether or not you have the title. On this podcast, we tackle real-life scenarios sent to us from listeners. We address it through the three lenses of scholar, systems, and soul... This week, we talk about when educators have unconsciously adopted low expectations for our students. An important topic. So thanks for joining us. Hey, hey. Hi, everyone. I'm Christy. I'm Karen. And welcome to the Modern Principle Podcast. Um, Our witty banter this week is kind of blank. Well, I noticed that in the introduction you said the word nay. Isn't that the right word? Nay, a journey. I I don't feel like I've heard it since like 1772. (laughs) You're welcome. 16th century literature. (laughs) Nice. Well, that's what we do best. I'm distracted. I'm sorry. I've got texts. I need to stop. Is your husband text more important than our witty banter? <laughs> Rude. Okay, so I think you should talk about your child this week. Oh, and boy. how how humbling parenting is. If you are listening and you are not a parent, oh. um, I was such a good parent before I had kids. Same. And um, like, just didn't understand how children could misbehave oh my gosh (laughs) and like it is my husband and I are both in education so clearly we value being respectful to the adults a lot I love your kid oh my gosh lately she's taken to so she's in preschool she's four years old and she's almost five yes and they have different teachers in her preschool and it's wrapping up the end of the year so there's a little less structure I'm sure I know that as an educator but she has gotten some incident reports like a lot. And every time my husband walks up to them, he's like hoping for like a skinned knee or maybe like a bumped head. No, it's always her attitude. <laughs> <laughs> She's just really adept at like choosing the weakest link and and using her words to say no thank you. And instead of saying thank you, she just says no and then smiles awkwardly at the adult. And giggles. She'll just say, the adult will say like, hey, come over here. Time to do story time. And she'll say No. And then just stare at them <laughs> awkwardly while laughing. Like, what are you going to do about it? No. She also... And what do they do about it? They just write an incident report. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. The worst thing is what we do about it, which is take away TV and video games. And that is a consequence for her, but worse a consequence Yeah. That's always for both worse of for us. the grown-ups. Yeah. So we... Um, We've been working on it a lot, and I always, I've been talking to her about, like, well, what can you say when adults ask you to do something? And so it's really kind of, it is kind of a catch-22, I feel like, as a parent, because I do want a teacher, like, you can say, I'm feeling frustrated, or can I can I do that after I do this? Like, I want her to exercise free will, but maybe not at the age of four. So now I've just been yeah. teaching her when an adult says do something, you say, yes, ma'am. You have no other <laughs> options. And she's like, well, mommy, you said I could say maybe later. And I'm like, no. No, nope. I take maybe. it back. I take it back. I don't want any more incidents reports. So that's my life. There I am. <laughs> Parents of the year. You guys can judge all you want from home. Whatever. Your kids are wonderful, Christy. It's fine. Well, no, I've got I've got one that, that needs some work, but. 
She doesn't want you to talk about it. She would be too embarrassed for me to talk about it, so. I try to respect her dignity. Her (laughs) perfect strangers, she does not want them to know about her No, she really cares about what perfect strangers think about her. (laughs) Mine mine will never find this podcast, so I'm good. I think mine might. (laughs) She's probably listening outside the door now. She's probably recording her own podcast, (laughs) if we're being honest. Okay, so this week's scenario comes to us all the way from the beautiful state. What's my voice doing right now? Are I know, you I, you're, that? yeah, you're pretty raspy. <laughs> well, I did have field day yesterday, so there was a lot of yelling over the wind. <laughs> it was like the worst. Can I say this? Yeah, it was, it was a bad day for field day. It was like, okay, it's May 20, whatever, and like. It's freezing. It was 50 degrees. Yeah, it was freezing. But it had been raining all week. These kids have had a, like, the 2020 has been a rough year for kids, and I was like, I am not canceling field day. No, we didn't either. So we all shivered and shook outside as we wore our winter coats. We had last day of school, like, stations, and they just, I planned it, and it was terrible, and teachers were like, can I just do this station in my room? And we're like, yes, <laughs> yes. please, please. I'm sorry, it. I did a terrible job. And nobody wants to eat popsicles outside in 50 degrees, so <laughs> no one. In my defense, I thought it would be closer to 80. Ugh, my computer just shut off again. You guys, I got this new computer, <laughs> and it, like, literally doesn't work half the time. Okay, so now we'll just talk about Amanda. From North Carolina. From North Carolina. She's... And my voice will keep going like this. All right, Amanda says, I'm a middle school admin with several years of experience and started at a new school recently. The staff and even other admin do not have the mindset that students can learn or even behave. To me, if they don't have a basic belief in the students, we won't ever be able to make progress. Where do I start? Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a pretty deep question. I think that a lot of schools would probably find if they are being honest. That's probably, yeah, I think it's probably a lot more common than we would want to admit. Yeah, I think that even um, myself, have I've had to work on some of the systems we have in place, and, and I'll dive into that a little bit more later, but like some of the systems might perpetuate that kind of mindset. Oh, yeah, that's true. The way we sort kids and track mm-hmm. kids, I think a lot of that could perpetuate that. So I think it's a pretty complicated question, Amanda, and we will do our best. No, I think we'll totally solve it in the next... <laughs> 10 minutes? Do you think I'll get my computer back on in that mm-hmm. time? No. I don't either. No. <laughs> but I bet I bet we can solve this issue in 10 minutes and... 14 seconds. And 14 seconds. Yes. yes. And then fix it education for everyone. You're welcome. All <laughs> right. So we like to tackle this, you know, from different lenses. And Christy takes the scholarly approach. And I just like to shoot from my hip. Yes. So... Otherwise known as my soul. Uh, soul. Is your soul in your hip? <laughs> no. <laughs> So there is, I think, a lot of research on this and a lot of historical um, research and evidence. And um, I'm going to totally butcher this. I even did Google (laughs) to see how to say it. Oh, yeah. She did. I heard this word. There's a very classic study, the Pygmalion effect. And you said it right, the way Google did. Okay, good. Pygmalion. Pygmalion effect. And it's it's kind of that classic... study that you hopefully have learned about in, I think, undergrad for education. Okay. Neither one of us did education as our undergrad, so we don't know what they learned. And undergrad for me was well over 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. No, not that long. Oh, close. Oh, okay, rude. <laughs> close, yes. Okay, what is it? But tell basically, them. it's a study where they would tell teachers that the students in their class were either very bright, had high IQs, or they were, like, about to bloom, and mm-hmm. they were kind of on that cusp of just becoming amazing. Or they would tell kids, you know, or, or it was, like, the control group. And so basically what they found is that when they told teachers that the kids were high achievers, that 
guess what? The kids became high achievers um, compared to that control group. And there was no rhyme or reason to, to anything that they told these teachers. That's really interesting. So, the, And the, the two groups were mixed ability students. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was no real They're difference between the groups. And so teachers... Um, perceptions basically form, you know, shaped their reality, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And one of the things I really thought about was how important language is and how it carries so much Mm. into your culture. I've thought about this a lot and don't do a good enough job. Same. And I think, Amanda, that might be somewhere to start, whether you just kind of do a, have a conversation or make it more formal with teachers about the language. Um, But thinking about all the terms that we've even, I've even thought about, yeah, I, I think it was an Instagram post that I saw recently just about how you label students and even very casually of, oh, they're a high flyer. And mm-hmm. I've seen high flyer used both ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're a high flyer and like really high academically or you're a high flyer because you visit the care room a lot or uh-huh. the classroom a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. So thinking about like unpacking those terms and those labels and kind of really diving into that with your staff and thinking about some of... You know, Instagram is a really great place to start with that because there's even been a lot of terms that I didn't think of um, that carry certain meaning or connotation that really does. And so it's even helped me, which makes me think a lot about um, the work that everyone needs to do with unconscious biases. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that that might be a great place to start, too. Amanda is really looking at... Yourself. So I knew Harvard did their implicit bias test, mm-hmm. and I knew that they did one on race. But we even just in our grad class yep. last weekend, and I, I didn't know that they, they had this, but there's a ton of them. And we did uh-huh. one based on your implicit bias about disabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. And so there's all – and there's a lot of other ones, too. I think there's, like, a gender one and different yeah. things. Yep. And um, so it would just – and just thinking about how some of those terms may perpetuate um, stereotypes or thinking – about certain groups or um, people that identify certain ways or even abilities of mm-hmm. certain groups. Yeah. I was looking. Oh, go ahead. Well, it just it just has me thinking about the inequities um, that come along with the language that we use. Language can create inequities. Yeah. And so just being really um, aware and do a lot of reading on. There's tons of great books. But, I mean, Christy and I could both recommend um, some. But we've also just put on our Instagram one about um, coaching for equity, and that's a great one. Yes. To get started. I think it's really good for leaders, too, because it gives you those question stems and the way to probe those conversations with mm-hmm. your staff that yep. sometimes feel uncomfortable. Right. That and when you're noticing that language come out, how to then ask those questions to get to the root of why that staff is using that. Yes. And the way that Elena Aguilar phrases things is just so approachable. Um, without, you know, putting up a wall between you and your staff. I had a great conversation um, with a teacher the other day, and she was talking about how what, what she notices about herself is, like, when she starts to label kids certain ways based on their effort, that's when she recognizes that she feels like she doesn't have control over their ability to learn. So, like, when she is starting to say, like, they're lazy or they're not wanting to, they don't have any motivation or Mm -hmm. they just don't care about school. That's kind of, she doesn't know what else to do with that kid because the things that she's tried that works with 99% of her students isn't working with this 1%. And so it's easier to kind of brush, like say like, well, I can't fix it. It's something to do with them, their abilities. Their their innate being. Yes. And so think about, we had to work on kind of the way that we even write like office referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, Like so-and-so made the choice to blah, blah, blah. 
and really getting back to, okay, let's talk about just the objectively what actually happened, what actually occurred Mm -hmm. versus putting our own voice Voice. into an office referral. Yep. I mean, that's really hard Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. I know. But if you think, yeah. And and the conversation with, oh, I'm moving my body. I'm not supposed to move my she body. She can't move her body because otherwise she gets loud and soft. You guys, we She's are really soft. trying to, like, be <laughs> super professional, but we still haven't upgraded our equipment. So we're, we have to now keep our bodies very still. Yes, so that we're the exact same distance from the mic the entire time. But I would say that that conversation I had with that teacher really highlighted the thing that I really want to tackle more in my buildings to come, my building, I don't know why I said I have more than one building, um, to come is just that efficacy of that when teachers start to feel like they can't change a student's behavior or can't help them reach certain academic benchmarks, then it's easier to start assigning them labels mm-hmm. or start using language that blames other factors that isn't necessarily, whether it's home life, whether it's support at home, whether it's, um, I've seen studies about English language learners are often, like, uh, often held to different lower standards because, oh, they just won't be able to do this because they're still learning the basics of mm-hmm. English. Um, and so just that that goes bound, down to their efficacy and they, they don't have tools. And so they start to, it's it feels better. Well, it's easier, yeah. It's easier to blame the kid than to blame yourself. Or to blame the circumstances. Blame the, the yeah, kids blame the circumstances yeah. and the family. And that's, and it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't come from a place of, like, wanting to assign blame necessarily. It's just not knowing what else to do. Yeah, you don't want to blame yourself. Like, that's a protective. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to protect yourself. That's our inherent, like, way of being. And even, even John Hattie talks a lot about mm-hmm. that as, like, teacher efficacy is basically the number one yep. thing that impacts student achievement. And teacher belief that they can make change with a kid, that right. they can teach regardless of circumstances, it's just the belief. Right. doesn't even matter if they actually have the skills. It's the belief that they do. Right. And the and – Teachers want every kid to succeed in life and in school and in their standards and in their behavior. And so if they could if they could get everyone to achieve at those same levels, they would. So it, it boils down to not having some of the skills to work with certain, I don't know, challenges that students yeah. may bring us. And I think different teachers have different, different challenges that they... Yeah. We all have different things that are like our triggers mm-hmm. or that we feel competent in or that we don't feel as competent in. Yeah. Oh, that Hattie. That might be a great place to start, too, looking at mm-hmm. Hattie's mindsets and different things to look at there. That's a his great eff- book. His effect sizes. Mm-hmm. And there's a book about um, different mindsets that teachers can have and take on, and that's oh, a really? great one. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he had that. Yes. You don't have the Hattie tattoo like I do. <laughs> Love my Hattie. Anyways, I also I also thought about deficit mindset, and that's mm-hmm. a really big – you could Google that. There's tons that pops up with that. But not only does it kind of perpetuate inequities, but it also, so deficit thinking, I'll start there, um, is thinking about when teachers or leaders focus on problems rather than potential. So it's thinking about saying can't, they can't do this instead of not yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, it, and how many IEPs do we write with that thinking and behavior plans do we write with that thinking? And there's always a little spot for student strengths, but it's. And they're not usually related to the... They're not. Mm-mm. Nope. They're usually, like, totally random outside of what mm-hmm. we're trying to, like, get their goal. Right. Yeah. And so as you're thinking about IEPs, like Christy said, or 
um, writing behavior plans, or even looking at academic data, are you focusing on the problems or are you starting to try to build on existing strengths of students? I always say too, like, I don't, this might be a terrible example, but if I, let's say I had to go and work on carburetors mm-hmm. and read about carburetors for seven hours a day. Ugh. Right? Eight hours a day, really. I can't I even tell you. And maybe I, maybe I got to go, like, to music for 50 minutes within that eight-hour day. But the other part of my day was, like, working on carburetors. I would be miserable. Ugh, I don't even know what a carburetor and is. I don't really either. But, like, ELA and math and the way that we do school is, like, working on carburetors. For some kids. For some kids. Yes. That's a great and analogy. for eight hours a day. Okay, they get a lunch. Like, that's not, like, school, the way that we do school is not necessarily for everyone. And that's our, that's our problem. Yep, that's our system. And that's what I mean. Like, and the other thing to think about, not just, like, how can you disrupt the educational environment, like Christy's talking about, or even the way we present material and get kids engaged with the material, because that would be a great place to start, too. But also, like, as you start to... To me, the greatest place that this emerges is the way that we ask teachers to use data. And I don't know how to fix this part because we have to use data. We're held accountable by state assessments. But also the way we we do that perpetuate this deficit thinking as we sort kids into groups. We inadvertently start to label them. We inadvertently start to look at their potential and cap it for certain Mm -hmm. groups. And so how are we pushing our teachers, pushing pushing against the status quo to not look at kids as scores to see past the data to start looking at their syst- their talents and especially cuz kids don't all grow at the same no. rate like i and i think being a parent has helped me realize that that like being able to watch my own kids and realizing like being kind of worried oh my gosh she doesn't know this number of letters or sounds or oh she can't read this level of text and then watching like this incredible growth spurt at different points in her life mm-hmm. and being like okay oh, she can but it just took her a, a little, little longer, longer. <laughs> yeah and how can we reassure parents of that too you know i don't know i, I hope i hope we gave amanda some ideas don't you think we did yeah i think we solved it Amanda, tell (laughs) us how it went. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just publish this in a book and call it good. (laughs) Send us our millions. Millions. (laughs) Anything else? Any final words on that topic? I think that is, I think we've covered a lot of, it's a deep. It's really deep. Yeah, I think that we could even almost go back and listen to this pod and pull out different pieces to do an entire other pod on. Yeah, Um, for sure. But you know, just kind of wrapping up with um, Carol Dweck, which is, isn't it Carol? Yeah. Carol Dweck. You looked at me like, Ugh. I'm like, she's not my friend. Ugh, that's her first name. Um, we just cited her as Dweck, but she obviously talks a lot about growth mindset. And I think that growth mindset is one of those things that I think people think it's a silver bullet mm-hmm. and maybe sometimes minimize, you know, minimize it to uh, a couple lessons here or there when really it's it's much more like a philosophy and an approach. But test scores, she says, test scores and achievement tell you where a student is, but they shouldn't tell you where a student can end up. Yeah, and I har- I would challenge all of our listeners out there to think about what systems you have in place in your building that might counteract that unintentionally. Um, and how can you kind of disrupt those systems to make sure that we're focusing on where students can end, not on what where they are. Where they based are based right on now. data. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive them as soon as they drop. Whoop, whoop. You can also follow us on Instagram yeah. at The Modern Principle, and you can find more resources and courses at themodernprinciple.com. Yeah, and share this, okay, y'all? Yeah. <laughs> I said y'all. That felt really weird. And Christy looked at me like, ew. I agree. It didn't feel right. <laughs> it didn't feel right. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. I didn't like it. All right. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you, you all. Bye. <laughs>